Open your Bibles, please, to James, the book of James, the epistle of James, the first chapter. We continue our series today in the book of James, A Faith That Works. This is uh, sermon number four in the series. In the first three weeks, we've looked at joy when it's tough. Secondly, we've looked at wisdom, what we desperately need. And thirdly, last week, we looked at the uplifting paradox of possessions. Today, the truth about temptation. Now, I know you haven't been seated long, but stand up one more time for the, in honor of the reading of God's Word. James 1, beginning with verse 13, we'll read through verse 15. And the Scripture says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Before you're seated, for this text... And this message this morning to mean anything significant to us, we must remember two things and we must believe two things. The first thing we must believe is that God is holy. We must believe in the holiness of God. Number two, we must believe in the reality and the seriousness of sin. If we do not believe both of those things, this text will go right over our heads instead of right into our hearts. And it needs to be right in our hearts this morning. So now you may be, you may be seated. James talks about trials and testing. We've noted earlier that one of the themes of his epistle is that of testing. And being strong in the face of the trials that come, not to some of us, but to all of us. Now, put that over against temptation. Trials and temptation, they're not the same thing. The trials or the testing that James has spoken of earlier in the first chapter, and will speak of numerous times As we go through these uh, chapters in the book of James, testing or trials challenge us to grow strong, to build our faith. And remember that God has a purpose in each and every trial, and He has something that He wants to do in our lives to bring us to completion, to be the men and women of God He desires for us to be. Temptation on the other hand, attempts to lure us or lead us to sin, and sin destroys. So trials and temptations are tied together in James because when we go through the trials of life, it often leaves us exhausted and and then vulnerable to the adversary, so the trials and the temptations do link together, but they are not the same thing. And today, James addresses the issue of temptation. So there are four things 
that I want us to remember from this text. And the first is this. I want us to remember the reality of temptation. Very simple. The reality of temptation. And James says, when you are tempted, not if. And we know that, don't we? It is not if, it is when and how often temptations are real. And please know that we all face them. You are not unique or alone when you face temptation of many different kinds. Understand that the adversary, the devil, Satan, despises you. And so he attempts to wage what is a bit like a civil war in your soul. I often quote from James Dennison and his blog that he publishes five days a week. And it just so happens that on Friday he talked about temptation. So I my ears perked up on that and... And, and so I have, I have his blog here in front of me. And like much of America, he, he, he in this article talked about Jesse Smollett and the thing that's happened in, in, in Chicago. And in, in the context of Numbers 32-23, which says, be sure your sin will find you out. And I've told you that was my mother's favorite Bible verse. Now, I know it really wasn't her favorite. It's just the one she spoke the most frequently. But he talked about Smollett and and what he did. And and then he quoted the Chicago police superintendent, Eddie Johnson. And if you watched Eddie Johnson this week, you, you could tell he was one angry police superintendent. And in talking about the two men that Jesse paid, apparently paid $3,500 to buy a check to do what they did, the superintendent says of the two Africans that he enlisted to do this, there was never a thought in their mind that we would be able to track them down. What were they thinking? Now, as I read that, like you, I kind of got a bit of a chuckle. But then I remembered, what was I thinking in times when I have succumbed to temptation and sinned? And and here's what our friend Jim Dennison says. There's something about temptation that causes us to think this warning, your sin will find you out, this warning doesn't really apply to us. We will get away with it. No one will know. No one will be hurt. No consequences will follow, or so we think. Here is why the temptation to yield to temptation is especially tempting in our culture. Our post-Christian relativistic society has jettisoned the concept of absolute truth and morality. In such a worldview, sin is a subjective idea rather than an objective reality. And he gives some examples. What the, what the Bible calls a baby, Planned Parenthood calls a product of conception. 
what the Bible calls men committing shameless acts with men, our culture calls marriage equality. As a result, sins are no longer objectively sinful. It's easier for Satan to tempt us to sin if we don't believe in sin. So we need to understand from the Scripture the reality of temptation. And surely from our experience, we already know that. It is very real. So that leads us to the second thing, and that is this, the incorrect blame for temptation. The incorrect blame for temptation. Some rabbis in James' day were claiming that God was the creator of evil and therefore to blame for temptation and sin. And James refutes that. He says, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God is holy, God is perfect, God is pure. He cannot himself be tempted, nor can he tempt us. For us, the blame game is in anyway, so let's blame God, for instance. Why would God make me like he made me with these feelings that I have if he did not want me to act on them? Have you, have you heard that? I'm sure you have. Have you used that? I hope not. Or God made me with a temper so when I lose it, it's really God's fault. True or false? Circumstances may be the occasion of my sin, but it cannot be the cause of it. There is nothing within God that would allow Him to tempt us with evil any more than He Himself could be tempted. Satan, however, is real, isn't he? The devil, the adversary, whatever you want to call, whatever name the Bible gives him. So I quote from our friend Jim Dennison one more time. It's also easier for Satan to tempt us to sin if we don't believe in him. A Barna survey found that nearly 60% of American Christians believe the devil is not a living being but a symbol of evil. An article in Psychology Today was blunt. I quote, There is no such thing as the devil, just as there is no such thing as fairies, imps, or goblins. The two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, teach that there is a devil. They are wrong. There is no evidence for such a thing, not a shred. It is simply something that germinated from the unscientific, irrational minds of early humans. End of quote. Psychology Today. And then Jenison concludes by saying, and of course, that's exactly what the devil wants us to think. That, that he is not real, that he does not exist. But he does. So that leads us to the third thing. The responsibility in temptation. Look at verse 14 again, please. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
Now, this is where it gets uncomfortable. Um, you know, already, this is just sermon number four, and at least four times already I've said, why did, why did I choose James? <laughs> well, it's because the Holy Spirit said, choose James. And so when I come to you um, with the, the, the 59 imperatives that we find in James in 108 verses, remember those imperatives have drilled a hole in my soul all week long, and I'm just now bringing them to you, okay? This is where it gets uncomfortable. We are dragged away or drawn away. We are enticed. Those of you who are hunters or fisher persons, uh, know those are hunting and fishing terms. And if you fish, the bait that you use or the lure that you use is one that you're confident will attract, entice the fish to take the bait. You're not going to use bait or a lure that you believe will chase the fish away. You're going to use something that will draw them to your dinner table. And so that is the language that James is using in this text. And that is what is so insidious about temptation. Because it comes in an alluring, attractive, reasonable form that causes us to say, why not? You know, we talk about the reality of Satan And one thing that he would enjoy very much is if you see him in the form of a guy with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. Because he figures if that's what you're thinking, then you're not going to take him very seriously. But if you take him in his reality, the way that he comes to us and entices and lures and attracts, then he knows that's exactly what he wants you to think. Because he's trying to draw you, not repulse you. And, and so hunting and fishing terms that we can all understand, even if you don't hunt and fish, you can understand, you can understand this. We are drawn away, James says, by our own desires. We can't say God made me do this or even the devil made me do this. The devil can tempt but he can't make you do anything you cannot say my wife or my husband made me do it or my friend made me do it or my work associate made me do it we can't say that it comes from within our own hearts Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book entitled temptation describes how this works here's what he said With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, 
but rather with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in dark, deepest darkness. And the powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves. Is what the flesh desires really sin? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me now here in my particular situation to appease desire. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Wow. James is very revealing. The source of my own struggles is my own heart. And as much as I would like to blame you or point at someone else for responsibility, I cannot. God does not allow it. So that brings us to the fourth and final thing, and that is the course of temptation. Look at verse uh, 15 again, if you would. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there is a course, a path to temptation. If I go up these stairs and stand up on the balcony rail and jump, there is a predictable course to what's going to happen. You'll have a new pastor search committee by next Sunday. When I, I'm not likely to be tempted to do that. When I came here 30 years ago, this building didn't exist, but when I came here 30 years ago, I could have stood right here and jumped to right there. I could have done it and raised my hands in triumph. And been just fine. It's the kids, I see the kids doing that in vacation Bible school. Some of the, some of the youth will, uh, they'll be, you know, the rah-rah session with the kids. And some of our youth will get right here and they'll jump right down there. I could have done that at one time. If I do that now, there is a predictable course that's going to take place. And it's not going to be pretty. Remember the same thing with sin. There is a predictable course. It could be worded with four D's. Deception, desire, disobedience, and death. I read David Jeremiah's book, about temptation, and I like the way he said it better than the way I just said it. He said, four E's, enticement, entrapment, endorsement, enslavement. That rhymes. Enticement, entrapment, endorsement, enslavement. There are two births that take place in verse 15. Three generations. There's a mother evil desire, who gives birth to a daughter, sin, who gives birth to a granddaughter, death, spiritual death. Predictable course. Why 
have there been so many times in my life when I have known the course that would come, but I said, "Mm, I'm going to do it anyway, or I'm going to say it anyway, or I'm going to think it anyway, or I'm not going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. Am I alone in that? Am I the only one? Of course not. You know that exactly what I'm talking about. The course is predictable. Bishop J.C. Ryle said late in the wrote, writing late in the 19th century, a book entitled Thoughts for Young Men. Habits like trees are strengthened by age. A boy may bend an oak when it is a sapling. A hundred men cannot root it up when it is a full grown tree. There is a predictable course. So having said all that, we come to the crucial thought of the morning, and that is, what do we do? With that knowledge in our heads, what do we do? So here are the suggestions for us this morning, or my imperatives. Number one, acknowledge the reality of temptation and sin. Acknowledge the reality of temptation and sin. Number two, Assume responsibility. Assume responsibility. In the context of the times and the place in which we live, that in and of itself will be unusual. Assume responsibility. Number three, take God seriously. His holiness. Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. Number four, take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. It is offensive to God. And number five, take decisive action. Now, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29-30, had this suggestion If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He's kidding, isn't he? Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What? What? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I take sin seriously and you must take it seriously also. And extrapolate that out three years from the time that he said that. And where do you find Jesus because of my sin and yours? We find him on the cross dying for our sin. So we must take it seriously because... He did. Now, there is great hope for us. So let let me close with these scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Everybody. And God is faithful. That's all we need to know. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I can never say I had no choice. 
There's always a way of escape. So let me suggest my list of four F's. Fight. Fight against temptation. When we get to the fourth chapter and the seventh verse, we're going to find James saying, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Second F, follow. When we get to James chapter 4 verse 8, we'll find that it says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come near to God. Follow him. And then the third F is fellowship. Do you know how important the church is? It's so important that we gain strength from one another, our fellowship with one another. We cannot abandon one another. We cannot, we cannot walk away from one another. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, along with brothers and sisters in Christ. In in, in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And then the last verse of many that I could give this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. There it is. Fight, follow, fellowship. The last one, feed. Feed on what? You know what? The Word of God. Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you remember the wilderness experience of Jesus and Satan? By the way, for, for those who say Satan is not real, somebody forgot to tell Jesus. Jesus knew he was real. He met him in the wilderness in the temptation experience. And do you remember what Jesus did when Satan tempted him not once, but twice, not twice, but three times? What did Jesus use to win the victory in the wilderness? He used the same thing you and I have available to us. That's the Word of God. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. So we, we fight, we follow, we fellowship, we feed, on the precious Word of God. And we remember that when we do stumble, and we will, when we do stumble, we remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom there is forgiveness for our sin and a beginning again with Him. That's the truth about temptation. So let's bow our heads together for prayer. In a moment, uh, Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of an invitation, an invitation hymn. We offer this invitation because of the conviction in our hearts that someone here needs Jesus. And if that person is you, then in a moment when we stand and sing, I invite you to leave your, your seat, come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you. You sense the tug of the Holy Spirit at your heart this morning. 
Will you come today giving your heart and life to Jesus? For those of us who have already done that in the ongoing struggle with temptation, can we remember today it's real, but God is also real. He is He provides the way of escape. He gives us the strength that we need. If we fight, we'll win the battle against temptation. And may God help us to do that for our own soul's sake, but also for the sake of our witness before those who live and work around us. So, Father, I pray we'll be strong. I pray that we will remember your grace and forgiveness. I pray that someone today will find that grace and forgiveness in Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.